All right, y'all, y'all are about to tune in to an updated episode on the tragic deaths of Aluatoy and Salau and Victoria Sims. After I uploaded the episode, um, I had uploaded it with the affidavit that I had, and I had come to the conclusion that maybe I just didn't have access to the court records because they weren't coming up on my computer. But lo and behold, I was able to pull all the bitches up on my cell phone. So ain't no way I can just let y'all go with the you know episode that I had. I had to update y'all with everything that I knew. So you can go ahead and skip about halfway through for the new information or listen to the whole episode if this is your first time listening. Thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. Hey y'all, thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. I'm your host, Kay Simone, and I'ma just dive right into it. So June 4th, 2020, Alua Twins allow, she calls her mother, and they speak for about a good 45 minutes. Towards the end of the call, she says, and I quote, Mommy, let me pray for you. After praying, she then said, Mommy, pray for me. After her mother prayed for her, twins said, Mommy, I love you. Thank you for never giving up on me. Don't stop praying. Please don't stop praying. You are a great mother. You are strong and resilient. Be proud of yourself for raising Sai, me, and Funmi. I am sorry. The Lord will help us and the Holy Spirit will lead me. I love you, Mommy. End quote. Now, this was the last time Alua Twins Salau spoke with her mother. And the last time she was seen alive was June 6th. On June 13th, her body was found next to Aaron Glee Jr.'s home. She was held against her will, raped and bound in a manner that would asphyxiate her over the course of several hours. The world is fucked up, y'all. Let's talk about it. Lua Toyn Salah went missing on June 6, and on the same day, she posted tweets about how she had been sexually assaulted. Now, these were her final tweets, and her body wasn't found until June 13th, and this was because authorities were looking for another woman who had been reported missing, named Victoria Sims. Now, I'm going to give y'all the backgrounds on Toyin and Aaron Glee Jr., as well as Victoria, and this episode will be more in-depth as far as what exactly happened to both of these women. So if you did listen to the last episode, you can go ahead and skip to where, um, you know, I end up talking about Glee's background. So that should be like halfway through. Toyin Salau was born Alua Toyin Ruth Salau on August 27th, 2000 in Tallahassee, Florida to Victoria Salau and Sul Salau. Now her friends and family, they called her Toyin and her mother called her Sunshine because she could light up any room she walked in with just her presence alone. Uh, Toyin and her siblings, they were both raised in the church. Uh, Toyin was about nine years old when she joined the church choir and helped the children's department while also being active in the weekly Bible study groups. By all accounts, Toyin, she was a sweet child, avid reader, and she always spoke about matters that were important to her. And Toyin received the NAACP Dreamers and Doers Award while attending Bucklake Elementary School. While attending Swift Creek Middle School, she was an active member of the Black History and Cultural Brain Bowl. And for a short period of time, she took a band while attending Lincoln High School. 
So 2018, Toyin, she gradu graduates from Lincoln High, and she continued her studies at the Lively Technical College for a vocation in cosmetology. And this is basically when she got in her bag, she started a business in hairdressing and modeling, and she flourished in her passions for makeup, arts, and fashion. She posted a lot of her work on social media platforms, so I will be uploading pictures of her to um, my social media, uh, but I do encourage for you to go look her up yourself. And, you know, as if going to one college wasn't enough, she then enrolled at Tallahassee Community College in the fall of 2019 and had every intention on bridging over to FAMU to study law because she had concerns with injustice in society. And this is when she joined the Black Lives Matter movement. So May 27th, 2020, Tony McDade, he's a black trans man. He was fatally shot by the police and Toyin heard these shots because she lived very close to him. And basically after this, you could see her in the front of some of the demonstrations in 2020. And she was speaking out against the injustices surrounding the death of George Floyd and Tony McDade while calling attention to police violence targeting black Americans and members of the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, this baby was 19 years old, speaking in front of large crowds in front of the Tallahassee Police Department. And she vocalized the injustices surrounding the fight against systemic racism alongside the Tallahassee Community Action Committee. And honestly, I don't know if I'm going to take them out my notes, but I don't know. It's something weird going on with them. Um, but she was described as a strong, young, Black female leader by Trish Brown. And keep that name in mind because I will be mentioning her later. And Trish Brown was a founding member of the organization. So another woman named Anna Santumeth, she is a Black Lives Matter activist out of Miami. And she spoke about how powerful Toyin's words were and how motivated she was to be more involved in the movement and shared that activism with those around her. And Toyin really spoke about the erasure of violence against trans men and the importance of Black lives. And I'm gonna quote uh, some words from her speech. She said, can't nobody silence me. Tony McDade was a black trans man, okay? We are doing this for him and our brothers and sisters who got shot and for all black people because at the end of the day, I cannot take my fucking skin color off. And my personal favorite part, she was telling white folks that when we look at y'all, we cannot tell anything about y'all unless y'all give that information up. But yet she is profiled wherever she goes. And she even goes on to say, like, my black skin is not for your consumption. And she basically told folks that they need to remember who the enemy is, and that's racist white Tallahassee. So while defending, you know, black people's rights, you know, our rights, it was one of the hottest summers in Tallahassee. And during that time, Aluatoyin Salau had been experiencing sex trafficking, rape, as well as uneasy living conditions. And I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, none of this was a secret. So Toyin's situation, it was known in her different circles. A friend even described her trauma as lifelong sexual assaults. And I'm gonna say allegedly, I, I said it before, but Black Girl True Crime, we cannot afford any cease and desist or anything like that. So again, I'm gonna say allegedly, but her friend said that her father had abused her and her mother allowed for Toyin to be beat on. And I mean, when we think about it, I mean, she was looking into homeless shelters and confiding in literal strangers. So that really goes to show that if she was confiding in random people that she met on the street, I'm pretty sure that, 
you know, these organizations as well as her friends, they knew what was going on. And I also want to mention that some of her friends really got a lot of the flack when she went missing, but we have to really look at it from a different point of view. Like these are all children. These are all babies. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. And I mean, you can only do so much when it comes to, you know, having a friend who, you know, has uneasy living conditions or other traumas. So let's also keep that in mind. And I mean, at some point she was living with a roommate and this roommate was a black male sexual violence was occurring and it got so bad that her friends had to take her to the new life united methodist church and the pastor along with police escort helped her move out so her close friends basically did everything that they could they provided her shelter clothing food and support and the one thing that i really didn't understand and once i saw you know what her friends had to say about her family it kind of really made sense because what would make a 19-year-old child want to leave home? You know, we leave home, you know, when we're ready to, you know, look at new horizons or go on other adventures. But I wouldn't leave home and face homelessness unless there was something traumatic going on. So I, I kind of thought that that was interesting. And then also, uh, Toyn, she suffered from severe PTSD. I mean, we have to also think about the fact that Tony McDade lived not too far from her. And then we had the murders of George Floyd and other countless, you know, black men and black women. And she's in the front of some of these protests. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, PTSD might have kicked in and then she had to dip off because her friends would say later on that they would be in like the middle of a protest or march and then they would look over and she wouldn't be there. So, you know, PTSD, you know, fight or flight, it makes sense. And I'm going to read off her tweets from June 6th. These are very important because she didn't tweet again after this. Anyways, I was molested in Tallahassee, Florida by a black man this morning at 5.30 on Richview and Park Ave. The man offered to give me a ride to find some place to sleep and recollect my belongings from a church I refuged to a couple days back to escape unjust living conditions. He came disguised as a man of God and ended up picking me up from nearby Saxon Street. I entered his truck only because I carry anything to defend myself, not even a phone, in hypothesis she put, which is currently at the church, and I have poor vision. I trusted the Holy Spirit to keep me safe. When we arrived at his house, he offered me a shower and I thanked him and he gave me a change of clothes. He exposed himself to me by peeing with the bathroom open, obviously knowing I was out of it. I had told him about a sexual assault situation that happened to me in March involving Ivan, a 32-year-old Ghanaian man who currently schools at FAMU and lives at 211 Jackson Patterson. I am currently 19 years old and he tried to force me to give him oral sex and then continued to harass me through text and knocking at my door for days. Going back to the situation that happened to me this morning, I did not fall asleep. He then asked me if I wanted a massage. At this point, his roommate, who was in the house, was asleep. I was laying on my stomach, trying to calm myself down from severe PTSD. He started touching my back and rubbing my body, using my body until he climaxed, and then went to sleep. Before I realized what happened to me, I looked over and his clothes were completely off. 
Once I saw he was asleep, I escaped from the house and started, and started walking from Richview Road to anywhere else. All of my belongings, my phone, my clothes, shoes are all assumably at the church where I've been trying to track since I sought spiritual guidance and refuge. I will not be silent, literally wearing this man's clothes right now, DNA all over me because I couldn't locate his house the moment I called the police because I couldn't see. So, and that's in quote. So those were her tweets. I'm pretty sure that there were a couple other tweets, but um, not not a lot is available because her Twitter has been disabled. And I also want to point out that the police, they basically failed Toyin a lot of fucking times. So they already had the report of her being sex trafficked. They already had the report of the man at FAMU who had uh, sexually assaulted her. They had all of this information. And at one point in regards to another sexual assault, um, they're at the church. It's Toyin and her friend, and they're with an attorney as well as the police. And the attorney was there for assistance. And the police basically said that they couldn't do anything because they needed more information. And Toyin, she just cried and cried and cried. And so it's really sad how many times she tried to get help. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Never should an 18 year or 18 or 19 year old child be facing homelessness and sexual assaults, sex, um, sex trafficking, and they're not getting the proper help and assistance. So it's just really shitty. Um, but I'm also going to just segue into Aaron Glee Jr. because he's also fucking shitty. So let's get into it. Now, he had spent much of his life in the West Palm Beach area, but really started acting like an asshole at a young age. Unfortunately, when he was three, uh, his father and uncle died after their car crashed into a palm tree. So there's not much on how he was raised, um, but he got arrested for the first time in 1989. And after his arrest, he pretty much spiraled into more serious crimes like armed robbery, grand theft auto, and drug offenses. And this man, he had more than three dozen arrests, including county lockups and six prison stints, totaling seven years. And some of those complaints were domestic violence. In one particular situation, uh, his ex-wife ended up getting full custody of the kids. Um, I, it's very unclear in the uh, court documents if there was violence inflicted on the kids or just her, um, but he really was not a good husband. All of his marriages lasted only one to two years, and the kids that he lost custody of, prior to that, he did abandon his first wife and four kids. Now, then he marries two more times, and his exes said that he never held a steady job and had a drinking problem. So Christmas 2010, an ex-girlfriend, she wakes up to glee inside of her house, and he was going through one of her suitcases. He didn't have a key or permission to be there. He eventually does leave. And this lady is, of course, fucking terrified. And she calls the police. And then she takes her son and goes upstairs. And she looks out of a window. And basically, Glee is still standing outside the front door. And he's just standing there. Like, this man is a fucking nightmare. But he had stolen her son's electronic gear and his $7 allowance. 
And now we kind of get into how the justice system really ain't worth a damn. So July 4th, 2012, he attacks a woman. And then the next day, he attacks another woman. And this is when the police found powder cocaine and crackly cigarettes inside of his truck. And the truck is a car that he has stolen from Miami. And the police report said that this man basically told them that he smokes weed and sells drugs on the side to supplement his income. 2013, Glee, he throws a brick through another ex-girlfriend's window, and her mother basically saw him take off, and he did this because she had broken up with him. And sometime in 2020, he makes it to Tallahassee, and he gets a misdemeanor possession charge for snorting cocaine, but the charges are dropped. May 28th, 2020, uh, he finds this man at a bus stop, and there's some type of altercation, um, and basically Glee beats the fuck out of this man. And there are three witnesses who are able to confirm that this nigga did it, but the officers let him go because it did not appear as if he had been in an altercation, you know, just looking at his hands. Now, the next day, he's arrested for aggravated assault. Well, felony aggravated assault because he pushed the woman to the ground and repeatedly kicked her in the stomach. Mind you, the police officer, he's rolling up to a light and he sees Glee standing over this woman and kicking her in her abdomen. And he had flown into a rage because she didn't want to have sex with him. June 1st, because mind you, now he's been booked. And June 1st, he's able to make bond. And I want to talk about this for a second, because while he's locked up with Leon County Detention Center, they said that he was too combative and he was deemed a risk, uh, too much of a risk for an interview with the pretrial release staff. And with this staff, basically a judge, he will give a risk assessment. And this assessment, it's supposed to, you know, have a score for your risk of fleeing or committing more crimes. And they also didn't know if he had any mental health disorders. And they did say that that information wasn't available to them, um, but they put no under the question pertaining to if he had any mental disorders. And that's wild because it's understandable if they did not have any history of his mental health, but they definitely had, you know, a history of his fucking rap sheet dating back to 1989. Like, this is a fucking monster. And there are some reports that say that he was let out um, due to overcrowding. But my question for that is, like, y'all couldn't have swapped this motherfucker out with somebody who was, you know, safer to be around the public. But still, you know, he goes before a judge and then they let him out on a 2500 bond. Or, I'm sorry, $1,500 bond. And now he's back onto the street. And this is when he runs into a Louis Salau. But my thing about this is, is that, like I said, this man has a long history of robbery, car thefts, drug, drugs, battery charges. Like a police officer ran up on Glee, brutally beating a woman in her abdomen. And they let this motherfucker back onto the streets and then also like fucked up his risk assessment. Because let me tell y'all, if you don't know, he not only goes out to commit brutal fucking crimes, but he also flees after. And so I would be remiss to not mention that his mother later on, she said that beginning of uh, 2020, Aaron Glee Jr. calls her up and he says, mama, I think I'm losing my mind. And also, it was reported that early that year, he had started to hear voices. Now, a medical center 
um, they turned him away because he owed $5. And his case manager said that he had been trying to, you know, look for medical treatment, but he kept getting turned away. And this might be something that may have set him off. But honestly, if Leon County had have properly done that risk assessment, y'all said that this nigga was too much of a danger to be around, but y'all can release him into the public. Imagine if he had been kept at the detention center. Who knows, Victoria Sims and Alua Twins Allow might still be alive. Okay, so let's get into the timeline of events. I'm going to give a major trigger warning right now uh, for claustrophobia, rape, and abduction, just deep human fucking suffering. And I'm gonna give another trigger warning later on. Uh, so I already went over the fourth in the beginning of this episode, so I'm gonna skip to June 5th. So. Friday, June 5th, 2020, according to family, someone retrieved Twain's cell phone from the church she had left it at. The person who retrieved her phone is redacted, you know, out of the reports, um, but they gave it to somebody else. And, and <clears throat> like, I really hate that because, like, why the fuck did y'all pick up this girl's phone? She clearly didn't know that it was fucking picked up. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said in her tweets that the phone was assumably at the church where she left it at. But... It's it's just frustrating because I wonder if maybe, you know, if Toyn had her phone, maybe she could have been found sooner. So it really fucking sucks. So that's what happened on June 5th. Somebody now has picked up her phone from the church. So June 6th is the day that Toyn goes missing. Uh, she was wearing a black colored t-shirt, black shorts with a distinctive light colored pattern and white colored croc style shoes. Early that morning, the Tallahassee Police Department responded to reports of her being sexually assaulted by a black man who lived at or around Ridgeview and Park Ave. Later, she posted the series of tweets regarding the same assault. Officers who took her statement determined that her description of what happened was battery and not sexual assault. But fuck y'all, because the definition of sexual assault refers to sexual contact or behavior that occurs without explicit consent from the victim. So in her tweets, Torn described exactly what happened to her. She described, mind you, this baby was given like descriptions. And I mean, descriptions of vehicles, descriptions of other situations that had happened to her. And she literally says, as she is laying on her stomach, trying to calm down from a PTSD attack, this man begins to touch her back and he's completely naked. He touches her until he climaxes. I did not see anywhere where this baby gave any fucking consent. So fuck, the, you know, whatever officer, you know, tried to downgrade her fucking report. And I mean, officers, they did, you know, they tried to drive her to the neighborhood where the sexual assault occurred. But y'all have to remember that Toyn doesn't really have good eyesight. So she wasn't able to figure out which house it was. Now, allegedly, she did ask them to take her to the church to grab her phone and her clothes, um, but this is not included in any court reports that I saw. Um, but if they did take her to that church, then her phone wasn't there because it had already been picked up. So now, Toyn, she goes to visit a public library located at the 2800 block of South Adams Street. Here, she inquires about shelter programs for displaced women, and then she makes a call to a local woman's shelter that lasts about 19 minutes. Toyn then leaves the library around 5.51 p.m., um, possibly to seek out other options um, or to head to the shelter that she was on the phone with. 
and she arrived at the 3500 block of Appalachian Parkway around 6.07 p.m. And this is where she meets Glee and they begin to chat at a bus stop. Glee and Salau then left in a Toyota belonging to a woman named Victoria Sims. And I'm going to give information on Victoria Sims. I did not do that in the previous episode. Um, once I've found more information, like, uh-uh, like, this lady was 74 years old, had lived her whole fucking life before Leon County let this monster into the fucking street. So let me tell y'all about Vicki Sims. She was born August 15th, 1944 in Alabama to Major Harold C. Magoon and Mary Eugenia. She moved to Tallahassee in 85 after graduating from Tulane University and LSU. And that's where she got her master's. Prior to retiring, she worked for the Florida Healthcare Administration. After retirement, she went on to do work for AARP and she was a longtime committed volunteer. And this woman, by all accounts, she was extremely kind and gentle. She always had a smile on her face and she was never at home because she was always out volunteering and helping other people, including this motherfucker Aaron Glee Jr. Um, she would deliver him food and give him rides. And another person, while they were talking about Vicki Sims, they said like she was literally out here doing God's work. And uh, she was actually considering joining the Black Lives Matter protests but, you know, she's elderly and COVID, you know, was running rampant, fucking people up. So she had to think of her health. But it's the fact that, like, she was a dope ass woman and like everyone who knew her loved her and they knew her down to the T. Like her not doing her daily routine is what really perked up her neighbor's ears. Every morning she woke up at 5 a.m., took the newspaper inside, she checked the mail, and then she would take a walk around her complex. So let's skip to, you know, around June 8th. So June 8th or the 9th, uh, Twain's mother contacted the Tallahassee Police Department to report that she hadn't seen her daughter in 48 hours. Twain is then entered into the NCIC slash FCIC as a missing person and a press release is held. And this is when they begin to contact her friends and other people she might have known. Now, Toyn's missing poster was then released and her friends provided detectives with some of her clothing for the search and rescue dogs. So June 10th, now after it was determined that no one had seen Toyn, her friends and other activists, they formed groups and they began to search for her. Now, at first I was going to say allegedly, but the Tallahassee Community Action Agency was recognized for their investigative efforts Twin's friends, literally in tweets, they're like, uh-uh, fuck that. Uh, basically, they said that Trish Brown didn't organize a thing and that she was trying to gain clout while her friends were the ones who were doing the work behind the scenes. And I even put child, like, messy. But, you know, I wholeheartedly believe her fucking friends. Like, they were the ones who had been, you know, helping her out. They were the ones who... Uh, she was last seen with so I don't know like I feel like they wouldn't lie about that so I have a lot of information for June 11th so strap in and bear with your girl because this does get pretty interesting so June 11th is the last day that Victoria Sims is seen Some sometime between the time the twin goes missing and the 11th a GoFundMe popped up 
And I will read a description on the GoFundMe because it did put a lot of people into a tizzy, and rightfully so. So it said, Alua Toyin, Toyin Salau, is an activist in the Tallahassee community who was reported as a missing person by family after disappearing on June 6, 2020. Toyin was last seen in the south side of Tallahassee near the intersection of Orange Ave and Wainish Way. Toyin's current condition is unknown and she may be at risk. This fund exists as an outlet to pull together financial assistance for her when she is found or when contact is established. The funds gathered will be allocated directly to Toyin to be used at her discretion for resources she may need to feel safe, secure, and supported when she is found and to assist financially in her healing process. Please support Tallahassee organizers and the friends and family of Toyin in the effort to provide mutual aid to an integral member of our society, or I'm sorry, of our community. So that put a lot of people into a rage because number one, you know, as they've already said, it was her friends that were really out here in the throes of this shit trying to find Toyin. Um, they were the one who was talking with the detectives and providing her clothes for the search and rescue dogs. And, you know, already the community action agency or whatever, they were being, you know, put in reports as them being the ones leading, you know, the search for Alua Twain Salau. And her friends were saying that that isn't true. So uh, the, the GoFundMe was eventually disabled, um, but a lot of people just... They were in a funk because if what they're saying is true and Alua Twain Salau's family was abusive to her, her father, you know, abusive, her mother allowing for Twain to beat on, then these were the people who were collecting those funds. So that was pretty interesting. So we're still on the same day of the 11th. The activist group phone number listed on her missing persons flyer was sent a text message that said, and I quote, Hello, I have redacted with me, and she is set to be killed by me soon if you do not cooperate. All I need is your cooperation and you will get her back safely. I am dangerous, don't joke with this. Killing is nothing to me, she will be dead soon. Be warned, end quote. And this message came from a number obtained through text plus. I'm interested to see if they have found the subscriber because I did see that text plus, you know, they were hit with like a little warrant so um, detectives could get that information because I highly doubt that Aaron Glee Jr. had the fucking wherewithal to try and get ransom from Alua Twain Salau or Victoria Sims. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because his trial is set for August of this year, if y'all didn't know. So we're still on the same date of the 11th. So... A friend of Toyin posted this tweet, do not donate to this GoFundMe. Trish is a liar and most definitely is not a friend of the family. Toyin did not trust her at all. Toyin was last with my friends and I. She left while we were protesting. Also believable because her friends had already said that Toyin was known to dip out. And I had said earlier, maybe this was because of PTSD. So this is in regards to the GoFundMe that Trish Brown had um, uploaded, you know, for Alua Twain Salau. And under this tweet, there was another comment that said, Trish, Trish sat there and made a big deal about Twain's phone being missing and whole time it was in the back of her red truck. 
She lied and said she's been in contact with Toyn up until when she went missing, but how when Toyn didn't have her phone? We know that Toyn didn't have her phone because on June 6th, she said that she thought it was at the church. And on June 5th, according to court records, someone picked that phone up. So I don't know. That just seems pretty weird. So, and of course, we know who kills Alua Toyn Salau and Victoria Sims. It's Aaron Glee Jr. But that does not mean that there were not people trying to gain clout off of this baby's disappearance. Let's keep it a buck. So... Uh, this individual, Trish, is the same person that I mentioned earlier, um, that she had a lot of good things to say about Toyin, and she's also the one who made the GoFundMe, and I wonder if she was the person who, you know, had her phone, because on June 12th, this person who retrieved her phone from the church voluntarily gave it to investigators. Why the fuck would you wait so long? Why would her friend say that your phone was found, that her phone was found in your red truck? Like the math, it really just is not mathing. So also on June 12th, Victoria Sims, she answers a phone call from Aaron Glee Jr. And it's around 10.55 a.m. And it lasts about two minutes. So a lot of shit was happening leading up to June 13th. A lot of shit was fucking happening. And... I don't know. It, it it doesn't seem like it's making sense to me. So June 13th. Now, again, trigger warning. I'm going to add that here again. You know, deep human suffering, y'all. So a family friend, they go to check on Victoria Sims because they hadn't seen her since the 11th. And when they arrived to her apartment and her apartment is located at 2731 Blairstone Road, apartment 40. And the first thing that they noticed was that the newspaper was still outside her door. Then they see that the door was slightly open and inside it was all fucked up. Like it looked like a burglary had occurred and her white Toyota was gone. So they contact the Tallahassee Police Department and they arrive around 5.03 p.m. to take the report. And the court authorized a warrant for Victoria Sims' cell phone provider so they can get a current geolocation data for her phone. And her cell phone is located within the immediate area of a residence at 2110 Monday Road. Authorities, they immediately begin to compile a list of her friends and associates. And this is when they identify a man named Aaron. After checking law enforcement records, they are able to identify Aaron Glee Jr. as the resident. And boy, what I'm about to fucking say, like, y'all don't even know, like, I literally had to hype myself up to re-record this shit because, like, fuck, fuck, trigger warning, like, for a fucking nightmare. Like, his property is something from fucking Resident Evil, like, a horror fucking movie. And I had to tell myself, like, if they lived it, I can talk about it. So let's get into it. So when the authorities arrived, they find Sims's Toyota. And it's on the northeast side of the residence. And it looked as if someone had tried to drive her vehicle, you know, north on the property, but it got stuck in the mud. And there's a sheet that was placed over the back of her car to hide the license plate. And also her license plate was bent as if someone was trying to conceal the numbers. So while they're on the property, at some point, a phone begins to ring and they locate the sound to a trash can. And this is while they're still outside. So inside the trash can was a black cell phone with a black case. 
as well as Victoria Sims's Florida driver's license. They, are, they were able to determine that the phone belonged to Sims based off the description of the phone and its case by family and friends. Now, officers, you know, they head to the front door. Um, they try to make contact by knocking to see if anyone's home, but there's no answer. So, unfortunately, you know, like, they're at this point worried that Victoria Sims might be inside. So, the door is then breached. So they enter a room that's located on the northwest. It's in the northwest bedroom of the house. And mind you, this place is fucking filthy. And it, it was reported, you know, in the court records that it smelled heavily of cigarette smoke, as if someone had recently been smoking. And this is when they find Victoria Sims. Her body was in a prone position, and that means that her belly is down and her back is up and her wrists and her ankles were bound behind her back, and a white blanket was placed over her. Now, this blanket was saturated with blood, and there was blood all around her body, indicating trauma. Her head was wrapped in plastic, which was also soaked with blood, and someone has slit her fucking throat. So, like, this woman, 74 years old, has lived through so fucking much. Now, ugh, like, moving on, so authorities, they used uh, canine units and they tried to determine if Glee was still on the location anywhere. Instead of finding him, the dogs led the investigators to the body of Alua Toyn Salau. She was located around 200 feet northeast of the house in a wooded area owned by Leon County. So I did get that wrong in my previous episode about this. I thought he, she was in his backyard, um, but she was kind of next to the property in a wooded area. Now, her head and arms were partially uncovered, and she was too decomposed to determine her identity. Well, while the officers, they're searching Lee's house, and at this point, the neighbors, they're outside, like, what the fuck is going on? And the neighbor, one of the neighbors, they call Aaron Glee Jr.'s cousin. And the cousin calls Aaron, and they're like, hey, yo, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, law enforcement is at your house, nigga. Like, what happened? And Aaron Lee Jr., he says, oh, nothing's going on. Uh, two hours before the discovery of Alua Toyn Salau and Victoria Sims at 3.48 p.m., this motherfucker purchased a one-way Greyhound bus ticket and departed around 5.45 p.m. and headed towards West Palm Beach. So Leon County Detention Center, y'all failed to do that fucking risk assessment that would determine if this man was going to flee or commit more crimes. And now he's done both. So way the fuck to go. So luckily he never makes it to West Palm Beach. On June 14th, around 1 a.m., the officers, they detained Glee in Orlando. So they are able to intercept him. And Glee basically tells the police that he needs help because he can't breathe. And this is when he's taken to the hospital. Uh, the Tallahassee Police Department, they traveled to Orlando to conduct an interview with him and they capture his confession on audio and video. And he does give a full confession and he also confesses to his mother, but I'm not gonna mention that shit because he's really removing himself from accountability when he's talking to this lady. I'm like, nigga, fuck you. So I'm gonna give the one that I saw because this full confession is on YouTube and it's absolutely harrowing. It's terrifying and triggering. So just a trigger warning if you do go look out this video yourself. So I'm gonna give y'all his full confession now. 
So he's at a Taltran bus stop located at the 3500 block of Appalachian Parkway, and he sees a Louatoy and Salau exit an arriving bus. So whilst seated at the bus stop bench, they talk for about an hour, and Toyin tells him that she had been sexually assaulted and that she was without permanent housing. Glee told her that she could bathe and sleep at his house. And this is when Glee calls Victoria Sims to ask for a ride, and she takes them to his residence, which is at the 2110 Monday Road. After dropping um, Glee and uh, Aluatoin Salau off, Victoria Sims leaves, and I just, I hate so much how Glee has been preying on Victoria Sims' good fucking nature, and like, I just want to tell her, like, don't go back there, but she does, but, you know, once they're inside, you know, Toyin, she gets undressed, and she takes a shower, and this is when, of course, I've already given a couple, but another major trigger warning for just everything, so... After showering, Glee attempts to have sex with Toyin, and she physically resists him, and she fought this man so hard, and this happens on June 6th, so we're on June 6th, and she bit him so hard on the forearm that while he's being interviewed on the 14th, that bite mark is still visible, so she fought him as hard as she could. And he did overpower her, and he vaginally raped her. And this is when he imprisons her over the course of three to five days. And he is unsure the exact amount of time that elapsed because he says that he was drunk for most of it. Now, at night, he made her sleep in the bed with him. And during this period of time, Toyn's arms and feet were bound behind her, and she was forced to lay in this prone position. She was repeatedly raped, vaginally, anally, and orally. Between these assaults, uh, she was untied and allowed to eat and bathe and move about freely. And this is according to Glee. But I also want to point out that he said that she could have left whenever the fuck she wanted to. Like, nigga, you are a fucking lie. Like, even when Toyn was talking about how she was assaulted in those other tweets, like she said, the moment this man went to fuck, to fucking sleep, like she was out of there. Like she fucking booked it. If Toyin thought she could leave, she would have fucking left. And like he really removes himself from accountability while being interviewed by the officers. And at one point, like they tell him, like, stop blaming it on the fucking alcohol. Because mind you, I have been fucking drunk, pissy fucking drunk. And never have I thought to abduct somebody rape them and keep them hostage in my fucking house like nigga fuck you so i just want to point out that she never stopped clinging to her faith like never stopped talking about god so in between the horrors that this man was inflicting on her she didn't quit like during the days of her captivity she spoke about god so much that he didn't even enjoy raping her anymore and at one point like he couldn't even finish so like, in between being bound up and suffering, like, she read the Bible whenever she could. Like, Glee, he kind of, like, waves it off. Like, yeah, like, she read in the room that he was keeping her in. And she would try to talk to God, you know, to him, talk about God to him continuously. And at some point, like, he honestly started to feel bad. He started to feel remorse. And, I mean, Alua Twain Salau, she was going through 
nightmares the majority of us we can't conjure this up in our fucking heads and she stuck to her faith the entire time and let me be very clear i'm not saying that in any way this made her experience any easier but alua toyin salau was a very powerful being now between the 10th and the 11th he realized that if he set her free he would be arrested and sentenced to prison and this is why he decided to kill her now, as if brutalizing her countless times wasn't enough, Glee, he, I don't know, like, it's clear that he's done this shit before, and I'll explain in a second. So, on the final day of Toyn's life, Glee tells Toyn to lie on her stomach, and she held her hands and, and her feet, you know, behind her back, and she was bound up at the wrist and ankles. He then went to ABC Liquor Store and got some liquor, and he went right back to the house because he was afraid that she would escape. He wrapped a white sheet around her throat and then a green one and then tied that to the bindings around her wrists and feet. So like I didn't quite understand it like when I was reading, you know, like the court records and listening to his confession. But boy, when I finally got it, I I can't imagine. So basically like it's kind of like the letter U so Toyin is lying in this prone position, meaning her belly is to the floor. And the right side of the U is her wrist tied to her ankles. And the left side of the U is her neck, which has now been bound to her wrists and her ankles. So every time she moved, the pressure against her throat got tighter. And he took time to make sure that the leverage was enough to choke her. And then he leaves the room and he left Toyin to slowly, you know, choke under the pressure of the bindings against her throat. And this took several hours. He periodically checked in on her to see if she was dead. And then eventually she was. And Glee, he admitted that he was aware that the pressure exerted by the binding around her neck would cause her to die of asphyxia. And like, <clears throat> it's, it's really terrifying. This is a fucking nightmare. And this is why I'm redoing this episode because like the information that I found, y'all need to know that shit too. So when y'all remember Alua Toy and Salau and how she was, you know, during the, one of the hottest fucking summers in Tallahassee, she was fighting for black men while also being raped by black men, while also being abused by black men. And then she was bound this way and then left in that room to die slowly and when they took her belongings into evidence, I want to point out that there was a piece of paper with scriptures that she had wrote down. And then one was a verse from Isaiah 54, 17 that said, no weapon formed against me shall prosper for my righteousness is of the Lord. Now, after she was dead, Glee took her body to the woods and placed the leaves over her. So June 12th, he calls Victoria Sims and she comes by his house and picks him up. He asked her to take him to CVS, and when they got there, he ducks into ABC Liquor Store because he knew that if he asked her to take him to get alcohol, she would have said no because she knew his um, how he was struggling with alcoholism. So 
They get back to his house and Victoria agrees to go inside. And mind you, she, she's irritated because she has stuff to do. Like she has been helping this man out, giving him rides, bringing him meals. And like she, she has places to go and like family to visit. And he's kind of taking up her time. And I believe at one point she mentions like his property and how his house is like fucking filthy. Like let's keep it a buck. Like his house is fucking disgusting. Now, something that Victoria says it sets him off and he overpowers her and binds her wrists and ankles behind her back and then left her in the same room that Toyin died in. And one thing I didn't know before when I recorded this episode was that he kept her alive overnight. So now we're on June 13th and Victoria Sims, she may have tried to bargain for her life. She mentioned to him that she had stimulus checks and other money that she had gotten. And mind you, she had fought him too. Like, he mentions it in his confession that, like, these girls were not going out without a fucking fight. So it's very possible that Glee may have physically assaulted her because there were marks that were on her face. And I just want to pause for a second because as I was listening to the confession, like, they were asking him, like, if he manually strangled Victoria with his hands. And this nigga kind of slips the fuck up, y'all. Like, they're basically telling him, like, we are going to be able to figure out exactly what you did. We can tell the difference between pressure and force. And he says, uh-uh, I always use a sheet. And you can see, like, clear as day. Like, he knew he fucked up. And the officers were like, well, hold on, G-Ball. Like, run that shit the fuck back. Like, what do you mean you always use a sheet? And... Like, if y'all go and look up his confession, like, he kind of turns his head to the side and balls his fist up, and he said that he he did a wrong choice of words. So, like, I, I hope that they are investigating if there are any other bodies out there, because, mind you, the way that he has already murdered Alua Twain Salau, like, you mean to tell me that he just thought of this, like, right off the dome, and this was the first time that he tried it? But we'll just have to see how everything plays out, y'all. So um, they did question him on the other bodies that might be out there. And he was quick to, you know, try to change the subject. And he did admit that he may have used sheets to bind her neck to her wrists and ankles. And he slit her throat. Now, Glee, he went gambling. And he also broke into her apartment. And then at some point, he does go back to his house. He smokes a cigarette before booking the one-way ticket for the Greyhound. And then two hours after that, Toy and Victoria Sims were found. And remember, I told y'all that Victoria, she had her daily routine. So the morning of the 12th, her newspaper was inside her apartment. And she would have taken this in before receiving the call from Glee. On the 13th, her papers were still outside on her doormat. And... What really fucking sucks is that while Glee is cuffed to the bed in the hospital, they go through his wallet and it's filled with bills that he had won while gambling with Victoria's money. Like these niggas ain't worth the effort God put into making a blade of grass. Like this nigga really ain't shit. So the day that Toyin went missing, like I want to point out that she was searching for shelter. Like I mentioned it earlier in the timeline and she was on her, she may have possibly been on her way to one when she stepped off the bus and met Aaron Glee Jr. So the shelter advocates, like, they were crushed, like, when they realized what had happened to her because she never made it to them. Like, they said, like, 
she never made it to us. Instead, like she tried to trust and you know, this is what happened. And I really wanna point out the fact that she chose to trust a stranger. Like that's how bad she did not want to, you know, be faced with homelessness and staying in a shelter. So the justice first allowed, like the petition, it went live uh, the Monday after her body was found. And its purpose was to hold the police department and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to further investigate Toyn's death. Like they were really trying to hold them accountable because let's be very real. The only reason that Alua Toyn Salau's body was found was because of the investigative efforts put into finding Victoria Sims. And there, there was such an unclear timeline of when she was last seen and where she went last. Like the police said that they put effort into investigating her disappearance, but didn't even issue a warrant to Twitter to get her geolocation from her tweets. So like all, all the traffic cameras in the world and bus routes that this, and this baby had no car. So that is something that they would have known off the bat. Mind you, she was four to six minutes away from the bus stop that she met Aaron Glee Jr. Four to six minutes away. And she was like from the six all the way up until like, it had to have been the 11th she was stuck there so like it it fucking sucks because i mean victoria sims like they find out that she's missing and in the same goddamn day they're able to issue her missing persons poster interview her family and friends and they get the warrant to get her geolocation for her cell phone like they found those bodies in a matter of a couple of hours but alua toyton salau had been missing since the six so absolutely hold them all fucking accountable so they can you know further investigate toyton's death so I see exactly why they said that, why they did what they did. And no, I'm not saying that Victoria Sims's death, you know, should fall by the wayside because let's be very real. Like Aaron Glee Jr. preyed on her good nature. Leon County detention failed these fucking women the day that they let this, let this man out on a $250 bond. And he has a criminal rap sheet dating back to 1989. And now it's possible that there might be other bodies. So like, fuck them. They completely failed Victoria Sims. And there were, of course, like a lot of tributes and stuff for Victoria Sims and Alua Toy and Salau. And one thing that just really stuck with me was Barry Jenkins. He hopped on Twitter and said, no 19 year old child should be housing and insecure in the capital of any state in this nation. Our protections aren't protecting anybody. And he's absolutely fucking correct. So Leon County grand jurors on Friday, they indicted, they indicted Aaron Glee Jr. on first degree murder, second degree murder, three counts of sexual battery, grand theft auto, kidnapping to inflict bodily harm or terrorize and or facilitate a felony. Then they got him on an old charge because Glee is a fucking monster and an asshole. So they added felony battery to the list. And expert Enzo Yaksik said, his assaults occurred over three decades and his victims were usually female. And that shows that Glee's hatred toward women was a hallmark of serial homicide, manifested gradually until it culminated in the deaths of Salau and Sims, two women who refused to comply with his demands. So on June 15th, more than 100 people, they marched to one, uh, Monday Road and folks really came from everywhere to hold a vigil for Luatoy and Salau and Victoria Sims. 
after the sun had set, they really lit Monday Road up with like candles that they lined up in the street and they popped off fireworks and a close friend of Toyin's poured one out for her. Now, Glee, he entered a plea of not guilty. And at the time he was being represented pro bono. October 2020, the state of Florida filed a notice of intent to seek the death penalty, adding that the capital felony was a homicide and was especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel, and was committed in a cold, calculated, and premeditated manner without any pretense of moral or legal justification. July 26, 2021, his attorney, Mauricio Padilla, he receives uh, this letter from Glee, and in the letter he said that his services were no longer wanted. Padilla then asked to withdraw from the case. And there were talks of Aaron Lee Jr. taking a plea deal instead of getting the death penalty. Um, but there is still a trial set for August 21st of this year. I was just confused because like, I you know, like when they do like the plea deals, it's because, you know, it's better for them to at least get something instead of nothing. But according to authorities, like this case is kind of like airtight. And so they're even merging Victoria Sims's case with Toyin's. And so like this nigga confessed not once, but twice. They were able to get buccal swabs from uh, Glee. They were able to get his semen. They've already done their autopsies. So it looks like as if they got their guy. So I'm wondering if maybe he's able to provide some other information that might get him the plea deal instead of the death penalty. But like I said, it still looks as if there's a trial set for the end of this year. So we will just have to see. So that is the conclusion of the tragic deaths of Alua Toyin Salau and Victoria Sims. <sighs> y'all, I'm fucking tired. I appreciate y'all tuning in, um, but we had to do it right for them. Like I could not just leave y'all without, you know, telling y'all what I had found out. Uh, tomorrow, I'm getting on with Coco and Bobby, and we are going to record the DC Snipers Part 3. So let's get this shit hemmed up and put out for y'all to listen to. Again, I want to thank everybody so much for y'all's support. Like, y'all have been tuning in and showing up and showing out, and I wouldn't be here without y'all. Like, y'all be, y'all be getting your girl through some rough times, and I appreciate y'all so much. So thank y'all for tuning in, and I will catch y'all next time. Thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime.